Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining the show today. And I'm joined by a new friend of mine, Laura Jennings. And Laura, you know what? I actually didn't ask you this before we started, but do you tend to pronounce your name Laura or Laura? How do you prefer? I say Laura. My mom says Laura. And I particularly like it with a Spanish little flair to it, Laura. <laughs> wow. Okay. Is that is that like a special request you make of your husband occasionally? Like add a little <laughs> flair to the conversation? No, I worked with a guy. Oh gosh, I was like 21, 22, and he was from Venezuela. And that was what he just, you know, said it with his accent and I loved it. So every time we meet somebody that's of Hispanic culture, that's how they pronounce my name. And I'm always like, oh my God, I love it. It I love it. It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's really great. Well, (laughs) this is Laura Jennings of, or Laura Jennings of uh, Laura Jennings Photography. And we are going to actually dive into yet another new topic or new-ish topic for the podcast today, talking about sharing your gift. We're going to focus on that in, in depth and I'm really excited to share with you something that uh, kind of the backstory that, that Laura shared with me. So we'll get to that here in just a bit. But we normally start off the podcast with something that we call the aha moment. And this is really great because if you only have three minutes to listen to the podcast episode, you still get to walk away with something of value. And what this is really is I just ask our guests to share the biggest or hardest lesson that they've learned as business owners. What comes to mind for you? I would say the biggest aha moment for me was learning that you can't please everybody. Art is very subjective. What you like may be very different from what I like. And what I like is very different from what my, even my husband likes or my children. So it's very hard to please everybody all of the time. I found it really hard when I was first starting out to shoot everything, to shoot weddings, to shoot you know, newborns, to shoot families, to shoot product, commercial, landscape, whatever it is that I was asked. When I finally dug down and figured out what it is that I wanted to do, and I started focusing on something very specific, I wanted to do families and I wanted to do weddings. I found that I was able to better control the type of clients that I was getting. I could better control the type of work that I was putting out there and better control making sure that everybody that came to me knew what they were going to get and that I could please them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Well, and and this, again, brings to mind what really has truly become a theme on the podcast for the last, I don't know, month to two months anyway, which is very simply just being clear about what it is that you want to do. I love the fact that you you make the point that art is subjective. That's a whole conversation or multiple conversations in and of itself. Uh, and yes. I, it really can't be emphasized enough. It always cracks me up when people take themselves so, so seriously when it comes to, to this notion of art. But uh, ultimately, it is very subjective. What 
you're excited to do is going to be different than many other people. But what's important is that you're clear, first of all, about what you want in your business. And actually, taking a step back further, what you want from life, and then that you're creating a business that supports that. And that's going to look different for you than it's going to look for other photographers. So understanding that up front is really, really important. But then the cool thing about being clear about what you want and what you're offering as a business is then that you can manage, effectively manage the expectations of your clients or potential clients, which is also really, really important for creating a really positive experience. So this is good. Absolutely. I uh, tell my husband all the time, he, you know, has his own businesses as well. And I try to explain to him that you got to find your people, you got to find your tribe, speak to your tribe. I'm like, it's a real thing. And he's finally coming around to being like, I I see what you're saying. There's the people that I want to work with. And there's the people that I'm just never going to be able to please. And so I think it's, I think it's a real thing. There's people that'll value you. There's people that'll value your work. But if you're trying to be everything to everybody, you just, you just can't do it. You got to draw the line somewhere. It's so absolutely true. And and it reminds me of a, a book called Tribes. Um, a really well-known one at that by a guy named Seth Godin. And, and I was actually, I saw one of his blog posts just recently um, where he was talking about this very concept again. The cool thing about a, the, the notion of a tribe and ultimately knowing who you are speaking to or wanting to mm-hmm. speak to is understanding, again, first of all, what the business is, what the business model is that you're trying to establish, uh, and what type of client as a result, of course, that you're going after. And then you learn to speak their language. And there are, as long as you're clear about who it is you're trying to reach, you can learn to speak their language effectively. And now you have an audience or a potential audience. And right. um, But it all starts, again, with just being very, very clear about what it is that you want, and as a result, the type of business that you're running. So this is a really great uh, way to start this, this podcast off. I don't mind that we're continuing to repeat this, because I think it's really important for photographers to clearly establish what it is that they're looking for, not only in life, but ultimately in business, and uh, that will make for a much, much happier experience as a business yes. owner. Yes, definitely. And and you spoke about your husband. So I'd love to just uh, kind of dive into this a bit more personal conversation here and get to know you and, and your family a little bit more. So tell us about your husband and, and your kids as well. Uh, my husband, Chris, and I, we actually just celebrated our 11th anniversary this month. And we've been together. <laughs> we dated for, we just joked on Valentine's Day that we have never spent a Valentine's Day together where we weren't married. And he started thinking about it. We started dating in April. We got married at the beginning of February and our first Valentine's Day, we were married. So, I mean, we only dated for 10 months. When we think back, we're like, what were we doing? Like, (laughs) we never tell our children to do that. Oh, that's so funny. Well, congratulations on the 11 years. That's really great. And and you mentioned that Chris runs his own business. What does he do? He is a real estate agent finishing up his broker's test, but we also own a stand-up paddleboard rental company here Ah. on the beach. We live in Panama City Beach. He's a water guy, so when we lived on the east coast of Florida, he would surf all the time. And then we moved to the Gulf, and the water here is very flat. And he quickly had to figure out something to do to get back out in the water, so he took up paddleboarding. And I was driving to a session one night on the beach, just thinking my little 10 minutes of quiet time. And I sent him a text message and I said, what if you just rented a bunch of, bought a bunch of paddle boards and just rented them out to people when they come on vacation? 
And he picked up the phone and he called me and he's like, oh my gosh, I have been telling people that I should do this. And I'm like, you haven't told me that. And he's like, well, that it. We should do this. And that was that. And that- it just, I mean, it just took off. It's so much fun. Really? Okay. So how long ago was that, that he launched that business? He started that maybe the end of 2015. And then we started gearing up over like the winter months. And then by the time like March rolled around of 2016, it took off. And do you have employees that are working for you? How, how does that, what does the business model look like? Right now we don't. So it's just him right now. And we've got about 12 boards. So he can, he'll drop them off on the beach, wherever, whatever condo or beach house you're staying in, he'll bring the board to you. He'll drop it off. He'll teach you how to use it. And he'll put you out in the water. And then he leaves. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. And then he leaves, does more drop-offs, does whatever. And then he comes back at the end of the day and picks them up from you. Um, And then this last year, he started adding in tours that are guided. Okay. So we've got some pretty cold water springs here that he'll take you up to. Um, We've got dune lakes here in Panama City Beach, which are like a natural phenomenon. It's a lake that washes out into the ocean. It's pretty cool. We've got like 16 of them. And the only other place in the world you find them is Australia. So he'll do like a tour of the lake. It's great. They're beautiful. If you guys have never heard of Dune Lakes, definitely look them up. Well, and we need to give your husband's business a plug as well. So tell us what (laughs) what his website is, if you will. It is PCBSUP.com. So PCB SUP, Stand Up Paddle Boards. But um, it is so much fun. That's, that's really, really cool. So do you find, I was actually just asking somebody else this, but do you find that your conversation, like if you have a chance to go out on a date or spend a little bit of time together, do you find that you are having a lot of conversation that centers around business or are you able to kind of set that aside occasionally? What does that look like? We try so hard, but it's so hard not to. I feel like it's, I mean, we both work out of the house. Um, we've, we met working together. We've always worked together. We spend our days together. Of course, we've got three kids. So it's either work or kids, but we both are so blessed to be able to do what we truly, truly love. Like neither of us hate our jobs. Neither of us really have much to complain about at the end of the day. We're so blessed. So the things that we do talk about are like funny stories that I come home from sessions with or stuff that the kids did or, you know, paddleboard stuff. I mean, we just spend too much time together that it's, there's almost nothing else to talk about. <laughs> well, I, I love that. Well, first of all, the fact that you enjoy what you do is, is a major plus. And I hope that any of those listening in uh, that r- are running their own business do enjoy what they're doing. I mean, we are pretty lucky yes. to, to have the chance to kind of be our own boss and, and do the thing it is that, that we enjoy. I think that's pretty great. Uh, and it's fun, too, that you have from that kind of content or material for conversation, which is really fun. But I also have another question to kind of segue with that is how do you then, if, if you're, if you're work, both working from home, you're always together. Um, there is a lot of conversation that, that centers around business. How do you maintain um, independence uh, within that? And, and the reason I ask this is not only from personal experience, um, past, past experience in relationship, but also I, there was a book that I read called Mating in Captivity. And, and the premise of this book by a lady named, named Esther Perel, she talks about the significance of independence in, in, a, in a long-term committed relationship in order to, to, to create any kind of or maintain any kind of excitement or passion for each other. 
you can't always be in each other's space. You, there has to be a certain amount of independence um, that is encouraged. How do you maintain that within the relationship, despite the fact that you're always working together or you're always together? Always working together. Like I have an office at the house and sadly for him, his office has become our bar. That was the deal when we bought this house. (laughs) It's not a bad (laughs) trade-off. I'm like, I'll do the taxes. You sit out there. (laughs) But we, I do my own thing. He does his own thing. We're in the same space together, but we don't really bother each other. We each kind of do our own thing. I've got my friends. He's got his friends. We both you know, make an effort to go to the gym, but we never go together. We go separately. Um, and, and, you know, there's days that we just don't need to be together. He runs out and he does what he needs to do. We just, we're together all the time, but we don't feel like we need to do everything together though, either, if that yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and it sounds like a wonderfully healthy balance too. That's, that's really great. I'm just curious. Relationships fascinate me and, and, um, I, I, kind of tend to take advantage of an opportunity to, to chat about relationships, even here on a photography podcast. So I, I think that's really, really great. And you have- It can be really hard. It can be. I mean, when we first met working together and then I left that company because I hated what we were doing, um, I left and went somewhere else. And I always said, I'll never work with you again. Like, I just don't want to do it. And here we are 10 years later. <laughs> and you made it work. together every day. And I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's really cool. And you have three kids as well, correct? We do. Oh my goodness. Yes. They, let me tell you, <laughs> they keep us on our toes. How old are they? Our oldest is a girl, Alexis. She's 17. And our second child, Connor, he just turned nine yesterday. And our youngest is two, Asher. Wow, that is quite the age range. We've got all kinds of things going on from learning to drive and talking about colleges to crushes and starting to become stinky and still changing (laughs) diapers and potty training. (laughs) Whoa. But, you know, I mean, and I know that's overwhelming. I've got two kids and, and they're now 12 and 16. But at the same time, it does add some variety. Like I, I miss, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with having a two-year-old, but I also miss that stage as well. It's interesting that you get to see kind of both ends of the spectrum, the, the almost college student and then the two-year-old simultaneously. It's a great, I, I love it because I feel like when you have kids that are so close in age, they're almost doing the same things, progressing the same. And I feel like... You kind of, like if you were to have twins, kind of just lump them together. I feel like having just such the age gaps that we do that they each have their own things going on. And it makes it a lot easier on me to be able to give them the individual attention that they need. That makes, like, a, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The attention my two-year-old gets is not the same attention that my nine-year-old wants or my 17-year-old wants. So... It makes it a little bit easier for me. Like the 17 year old, we're teaching her how to drive and we're teaching her, you know, she's picking up babysitting jobs and she's got a job and we're teaching her about life skills. The nine year old, like we're playing sports with him and starting to have conversations about girls and manners and stuff like that. And the two year old like wants to watch Mickey Mouse and cuddle all day long. So, <laughs> <laughs> By the way, enjoy that cuddling while it lasts. Well, you probably know this too, but like the, that, that phase kind of begins to go away. And I'm, oh, man, I'm so bummed about it already. But definitely, I savor every moment I can. I I don't want him to grow up. <laughs> 
Oh, that's that's really. And, but I also I, I bet that you're able to take what you've learned as a parent of Alexis and then kind of I, I know it's it's interesting to consider having almost like a fresh start with Asher and that you're I able know. to apply all these different things that you've learned um, to this this new baby. Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly right. Like we've learned along the way what works, what doesn't. Granted, each of them are so different. So the things that, you know, have or didn't work with Alexis, some of them do work with Asher. And we just hope that he doesn't pick up the bad behaviors that his older <laughs> like to share. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, how do you how do you as a family like to spend free time together? And and then as kind of a segue to to that question, um, how do you create that free time? Because it's, I, I know as, as a dad myself, how much I want to make sure I'm giving my kids time, focus time, quality time. Uh, but it can also be a little bit of a challenge at times to make sure that it is, first of all, quality time. But then secondly, even just creating the space for that time, it seems like, you know, something pops up at the last minute or I've got this big project on, on my plate. How do you create that free time for them as well? Yeah, it's hard. It's definitely one of the things I'm trying to be better at this year is, you know, finding that unicorn of balance between running a business and being a mother. You know, like I said, Alexis has a job now and she gets home from school at 3.15 and she's got to be able to work at four o'clock. So we don't get to see her too terribly much, but the nights that she does have off, even the nights that she is at work, we have family dinners every night. We sit at the table, we have dinner. If it's peak season for me and I have to be on the beach at five o'clock, we may eat dinner at four o'clock or we may have to wait and eat dinner at 6.30 or seven. But we try to just make sure that we have dinner as a family as many nights as possible so we can talk about each other's days. Our seasons here, you know, we're in a very tourist-driven location. So we're very seasonal. In our off seasons, we like to travel a bit. We just took the kids down to Cuba. We like to kind of wow. How was that? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. I would totally go again. We literally made it out of Cuba in September just before they shut down all tourist traffic because of the sound wave terrorism that they had going on. I can't remember exactly what it was, but like two days after we left Cuba, they shut travel down. Oh wow. I was like, thank goodness we made it. But it was, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. It's everything that you've dreamed that Cuba was. And I like to just, I mean, it's not, it's really hard to explain. I don't want to, it's very old. The architecture, architecture is very old. The streets are very old. Their way of life is very old, but you drive down the street and you don't see anybody with their faces buried in their phones. They're out, they're talking, they're walking, they're carrying their groceries, they're laughing, the kids are playing. It's beautiful. I've loved every second of it. Oh, I'm I'm already that much more excited about it, just hearing that description. I, I love that. I love how specific you were about the fact that people aren't walking down the streets with their heads in their phones. That's, that's really a beautiful thing to consider these days. How did you, so to take a trip like that though, as a family and both having businesses, is there a particular tool or tip or technique or series of them that, that you use to create that space in your calendar or to spend time with your family? We um, try to, again, plan it around the tourist season here in Panama City Beach. So slow time for us is typically November through February. Mid-March, we'll start picking up, and we won't travel during the summers. 
we work, we try to keep Sundays off as family days. Um, so we usually try to cram quite a bit in between November and February. Yeah. And we take like trips for Thanksgiving. We were going to take a trip for Christmas, but with our youngest being two, I didn't think he'd quite under, like he's just starting to figure out who Santa is. Like I didn't <laughs> want to skew that. Yeah. So we decided to stay home, but I just feel like, I mean, we're the bad parents. Like my kids don't play video games. They don't have cell phones. They don't have, my 17 year old has a computer, but it stays in the kitchen. Like we're the bad parents, but I don't want them to have things. I want them to have experiences. Absolutely. And I want to create memories and of course take pictures of them when we go all these places, but they just don't need more things. I just think that, you know, we've gotten so far away from what's important I would totally agree, and, and and maybe you've even heard me say this in the podcast before, but the, something that I started doing a few years ago with my kids was instead of, for Christmas, instead of you know piling the gifts on, I may give them a, a two or three, but uh, ultimately what I really wanted to put the money into was an experience for them for the year. Yes. And so we usually do one big trip a year. This year we're doing kind of a, a main trip and then throwing kind of smaller ones, sprinkling smaller ones here and there. Like I'm taking my son uh, to Austin, Texas in April to go watch the MotoGP, the motorcycle races there. Oh, nice. Um, which will be really fun. We started doing that last year. So it's, um, I, I can't quite call it a tradition yet, but it's something that we enjoy together. And he has, we both have motorcycles. So that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> and then we're, I'm going to take them up to, uh, or over to Seattle kind of our, our main trip this year. I have family out there, but they've never been out to Seattle. And, and so we're going to do that. But I, I think those experiences are really significant. And, you know, I, I, I kind of cringe when it comes around to um, friends or family members' birthday. And there's kind of this expectation that, that you have to buy gifts. And I'm just thinking like this five-year-old kid or this 10-year-old kid, like they're going to be excited about this thing that I give them for about, you know, a week. And, and then right. it's just going to get thrown aside anyway, it just seems like there's better use of, of time and energy and money. And so yeah. I, I love that you have that focus for your family. Yeah, we decided, I said to the kids, I was like, what'd you get for Christmas last year? Uh, I was like, that settles it. That settles it. So Absolutely. we do four gifts. We do four. A want, a need, a wear, a read. So something they want, something they need, something to wear, and something to read. Oh, I'm going to totally then, have to steal that. That's brilliant. Oh I love gosh. it. It's amazing. And it's so easy to go Christmas shopping. You don't spend a ton of money. They were perfectly, they're going to get gifts from grandparents. They're going to get gifts from aunts and uncles. It's plenty of stuff. They don't need anything more. And then we take a trip and we do something together as a family, whether it's you know, a small thing to go. We went to Tampa to go watch a Red Sox game in September for a long weekend, or then it just so happened to be the weekend after we went to Cuba. But like, I'd rather do things with them that they're going to remember and where they're going to actually learn something versus just giving them a bunch of plastic they're going to throw in a toy box and forget about in a week. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I grew up traveling quite a bit as a kid, too, and I, f I still feel so lucky for that. And it's fun to go back and look at the pictures from those experiences and, and think back to them. So I, I think yes. the fact that, that we give our kids those experiences is, is an opportunity to connect. Um, but I think it's a reflection of, of really important values. And, and so I think that's a really beautiful thing. That's cool. Well, I, I want to kind of transition from the personal back to the professional and, and talk a little bit about your business. And I'm curious um, how long you've been in business and how you, how you got started. I have been 
professionally getting paid to take photos for about seven, eight years now. My first photo session, I charged $50 for, and it was actually a maternity session. Um, I went home and cried that day because I thought that I ruined the photos. It was just a nightmare. (laughs) But, you know, here we are eight years later, you know, and I still had, I still had my day job then. I was working for a marketing company when we lived in South Florida. I did freelance work for the newspaper down there. This was a point in my life where I was trying to please everybody and I was shooting a little bit of everything. And I just got like, I had a job when I was working for the newspaper, I had to go take pictures of the high school homecoming dances and the proms. I was floored at what these girls were wearing to these things. But that's besides the point. Like I took gigs for a saltwater aquarium guy taking pictures of fish in tanks so that he could sell them online. I hated it. (laughs) I, I hated it. It wasn't, it wasn't creative. It wasn't fueling that passion for me. Like, I just didn't want to do it. And that was about the time that I realized that I don't want to do this because I feel like I have to. Like, I want to do this because I want to. I already have the day job that I have to go to. Like, this doesn't make sense. So that was when I realized, I mean, I love children, obviously. We've had children, you know, a couple of times over the course of 20 years. But I love capturing those moments between families. And that's really where my passion is. So that was about the point where I was like, I don't want to do maternity. I don't want to do these crazy side gigs. I don't really want to freelance for the newspaper anymore. I mean, it's fun to see your name in print, but that wears off. Like, I want to create memories for families that they can look back on for generations to come. Yes. Um, And so that was when I was like, okay. This is what we're going to specialize in. And then I just, you know, buckled down, focused, learned as much as I possibly could and just kind of went from there. So this really segues beautifully into my next question, which is one that we ask quite a bit here on the podcast. But what is your business's brand position? You kind of alluded to this already, but there are other family photographers, for example, in that area, in that market that you're in. So how do you create some distinction or separation between yourself and the other brands there? Yeah, there's a lot of other photographers here in the area. I would say as far, I'm kind of somewhere towards the higher end of the spectrum here as far as pricing goes. I'm not the most expensive and I'm really far from the least expensive. I do sunset beach family sessions. So we live in Panama City Beach. We get the West Coast sunset because I'm not an East Coast sunrise kind of girl. I like my sleep. So sunsets here are just they're absolutely gorgeous. And there are a lot of people when they travel to Panama City Beach looking for family portraits. And it just so happens that I love shooting families um, and I love the beach and sunset. So it was, it was difficult to get to the point where I could create that image of the family on the beach at sunset. That that light changes so fast. It's such a hard dynamic to capture. Um, but I go at it candidly. I'm not your typical white shirts, khaki shorts kind of beach photographer. Like I want you to come as you are. I want you to come out and be ready to play with your kids. I don't want to tell you guys to all wrap your arms around each other, hold hands or walk on the beach. Like I want you 
to build a sandcastle with your kids. I want you to play tag, ring around the rosy. I want you to get in the water and splash me. Like I tell the kids, I bet you can't get me from there. I bet you can't splash me. And the moms are like, no, I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's okay. I promise. Like I'm I love that. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> like I, if I don't come home from a session wet and sandy, it was not successful. Absolutely. I will get all the way in up to my neck. I'll lay in the water with the kids. I just want them to play like, so many of these families that come here, this is the first time their kids have ever seen the beach. Oh, true. Um, yeah. And I want the I want moms to go home with pictures and remember exactly how her children saw the beach for the first time. And, and to that point, I have to, I have to comment because I'm actually on. I've got your the, the homepage of your website pulled up, and and for those of you listening in, it's L Jennings, uh, just like it sounds, photography.com. And uh, it, 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 what looks like almost, is that your Instagram feed there on the homepage? Uh, no, that is actually my website. Wow, that's really cool. Well, there's yeah. a, on the very top in the middle, there's this photo of a little girl walking, kind of walking away from her parents and, and um, sibling in the background. <laughs> and there's a little bit of moisture on the sand. And so there's a reflection. And of course, the sunset that you were talking about in the background, the colors, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, and, and I, that has to be fascinating to actually be there as these kids are getting to see the beach for a few, for the first time it has to be beautiful. It's amazing. Like just to be even, I'm like so honored that they even chose me to be the one to share this moment with, like, it's yeah. just so amazing. And that little girl, she was there with mom and dad and she didn't really want to take a picture, but mom really wanted like everybody looking at the camera, like the very traditional picture. And I'm like, I got you. And she just wasn't having any of it. So I called her over and I'm like, come here. I have to tell you a secret. And I always say it loud enough that I'm not creeping the parents out. Like, hey, let me tell you a secret. Like, I feel kind of weird. But I'm like, come here. Let me tell you a secret. And so I'm like, if you go and give mommy one really big smile while you're squeezing her legs, I'm going to let you chase me. Or we're going to go chase the birds or whatever it is. And she was like, okay. And she ran over and she hugged mama and she gave me this big old smile. And I'm like, let's go. So is that her just kind of beginning to chase after you then? That was her coming to me where I was like, come here. I want to tell you a secret. Oh, that's and then I perfect. saw her kind of grin and I was like, click. <laughs> oh, that's, that's absolutely perfect. Something else I'm noticing, I'll just kind of throw this in while we're talking about the, the images here on the, the homepage, um, is that there, it looks like you have to deal with some cloud cover. Uh, yes. Is it, is does the light end up being a little bit frustrating at times where you get the, the clouds kind of going, covering the sun and then moving out away from the sun? How does that work? You've got to be quick on your toes to work with that. I prefer a cloudy night because if you scroll, you see that the nights that there's actually clouds, you get a lot more color in the sky. Right. That's the way that the sun is reflecting off the water and the particles in the sky and hitting the clouds. And it's a whole science thing I don't understand but I love cloudy, sparsely cloudy days because the sky is just amazing. Well, and there's this picture, actually, if, if you scroll, for those of you listening in, once you get the chance to go look at Laura's website, if you scroll down, uh, I don't know, maybe about a quarter of the way down, there's this picture of, of a couple, Keely and Kyle, who are not quite silhouetted. I think it's kind of a perfect balance of being able to see a little bit of the detail but it's still somewhat of a silhouette and that the clouds in the background and the light coming out from behind them, it's just absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. It's my absolute favorite. I love the colors. I love capturing it. It's very, 
the light and airy is kind of trendy right now. I'm just not that kind of girl. Like I just don't get motivated by that look. I want to see it exactly how my eyes saw it. And that's really hard to capture in camera, which, you know, it's a bit of in camera. It's a bit of editing. It's very clean. I want I want it to look clean. I want it to be timeless. I want you to pull this up in 10 years and not be like, what were we thinking? <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, you know, there's sun flares here and there. I hate sun flares. I don't like, and I'm so sorry for anybody that does love them, but I see some of them over people's faces sometimes. And it makes me sad because someday you're going to go back to look at that picture and you're going to want to see that person's face yeah, it's true. and you're not going to be able to. So I try so hard to stay away from those unless they're going for a super creative shot. But I really just want to capture it exactly how I see it because it's so beautiful as it is. I love that. Well, you know, the, the wonderful or one of the wonderful benefits too of, of keeping a simple editing style and, and shooting style at that is that it, it takes less time after the fact to process those images. Now, obviously, there's a significant benefit if, if you're already delegating that, that editing work elsewhere, outsourcing that elsewhere. But if for some reason our listeners are holding on to that processing still, it does simplify the process where you're not having to apply you know, some of these presets that are applied to the images right now, whether they have a film look or otherwise, distort the images really significantly. I mean, some of the greens right. that you see coming through the images, it distorts skin tones, it desaturates skin tones. People look halfway dead as a result. Right. It's it's kind of <laughs> confusing. And I get that the trends come and go. And, and certainly I, I went through some of them myself as a photographer. But yeah, but I, yeah the, the simple approach to photography, not only do that or does it simplify the, the post-production, but then it also, as you said, gives them a product 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that you're not going to look at and kind of roll your eyes at. I mean, that was happening for me as a photographer, looking at some oh my, my old work, like even like two years after the fact or three years after the fact, like what in the world were I look back at some of the stuff I shot when I started and I'm like, please, I hope these clients never post these on social media ever again. <laughs> like they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. But you know, and we all start there and we all grow and we all learn and, you know, presets I think are great because they can help you kind of, figure out what your style is and what you like and guide you. I just don't think that you should rely solely on them. I think they're a good starting point and a guide. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to put it. Um, you talked about shooting and getting in up into the water up to your neck. What kind of <laughs> gear are you using? Do you have a favorite piece of gear or accessory that you use as you, as you do these sessions? Um, I, I just go in with my camera and my lens. I don't, it, it breaks my husband's heart. It scares him to death when he sees me do this because he knows <laughs> how much money is in my hands. And I have lost cameras and lenses before to the ocean. Oh no. But I shoot, I'm a Canon girl. I started with Canon and I just never budged. I picked up a Nikon once that was a girlfriend of mine's and I didn't know what I was doing. And I just said, I didn't want to learn over. So I stuck with Canon. I shoot with a 5D Mark III. I have two of those. So there's a backup. And my, my absolute favorite lens for families is a Sigma 35. I actually do prefer the Sigma over the Canon for those that are wondering. I know there's lots of people that always wonder yeah. which is better. I love the Sigma. I think it's a great bang for your buck. And I actually think it's sharper than the Canon. But that is interesting, actually. There was a there was a lens, and I shot Nikon, but there was a lens that Sigma used to make. I'm not sure if they still do. It was a 17 to 55 2.8 lens. 
um, that was a range, first of all, that I don't know that Nikon even had at the time. And it was, it was surprisingly sharp uh, and, yeah. and did beautifully uh, for, for our business. So um, yeah, I, I certainly don't have a problem with kind of jumping around to, to whatever works best. And it's, you know, it's nice that sometimes those off brands that work just as well, if not better, are also a little bit less cash out of the banks. It's, always, it's like always half a plus. the cost of the Canon. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And I had rented the Canon and then I ultimately decided on buying the Sigma. And I was like, if I hate it, you know, I can return it or try to sell it or you know, even give it to my daughter, but I've got two of those as well. So let's say one night at a session, I drop my camera and my lens in the ocean. I've got a backup ready to go for the next day. That's so, cool. That's really, really yeah. great. Well, I want to ask you very quickly before we move to um, our, our kind of our primary topic for today. You actually won first place in a shoot and share photo contest back in, in 2016. What What was that experience like? What not only, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's excitement to winning a contest and maybe you can kind of give some context to the contest uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with it. But then what do you feel like it did for you as a photographer? It was crazy unbelievable. Like I, I'm a total introvert, like mildly having a panic attack as we talk introvert. Like I just <laughs> don't do well in groups, but my clients would never know otherwise. So entering my work and putting my stuff out there, it's scary. Like, again, art is very subjective. And I mean, there's times, one time, my husband will clarify that I created something that I thought was awesome. And he looked at it, I showed him and he's like, he just stared and he's like, I don't get it. And I was like, just get out of my office. Like I was devastated, but I'm like, art is subjective. It's okay if you don't get what I was going for. So putting yourself out there is always scary. The shoot and share contest is totally anonymous. So each person you, so, I mean, you could be like the best photographer in the world. You could be a stay at home mom that takes pictures with her point and shoot camera. It is totally anonymous. Anybody can enter. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey. So you get up to 50 entries. So 50 different pictures And there's categories like weddings and styled weddings and newborn and birth photography and families and lifestyle. Well, I'm a family and I'm a lifestyle photographer. So that's kind of where I hover. So 2016, I decided I didn't even see all the stuff about it. Like I was just getting into the forums at that point, kind of, you know, because I kept to myself and the very last day that they were accepting submission, I entered 26 pictures and that was that. And then you get like, I think there's like three weeks of voting and they go through rounds and they eliminate pictures. And again, it's all anonymous, but people spend like thousands of hours voting. It's crazy stuff. And and literally millions and millions of votes too. Millions and millions of votes. There's a contest going on right now. They're at like 60 million votes or some crazy number. And they're only halfway through the voting. Wow. So I didn't vote a single day. I forgot about it. I just didn't do it. It's a time suck. Let me tell you, I have spent far too much time (laughs) voting this year. (laughs) Absolutely. Like I just didn't. But then when they came up to, you know, announcing the winners, they go through the top 20 spots. So each night they would do like the top 20 and it would be the 20th place or not the top 20. I'm sorry, like 20th place for every single category. So let's say there's 20 categories. The next night was 19th place for all the categories. 
I watched these videos on silent on my phone, on the couch, never told my husband I entered, never told my husband I was watching these videos because I was scared. I put myself out there. Yeah, yeah. And I watched every night these pictures get better and better and better as we move from like fifth place to fourth place to third place to second place. And then the night of first place, I'm like watching, 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 kind of not paying attention. And then I saw one of my pictures flash by on the screen, like a quick blip. And then they went back to another picture. And I was like, <gasps> like, and my husband's like, what, what, what? And I'm like, nothing, just sit there. Just sit there. Yeah. And so I kept watching and I kept watching and they were like, okay. And then first place for lifestyle documentary photography. And my picture popped up. Wow. I seriously about just fell off the couch. I was, I was crying. Oh, wow. It was a picture of my son flying in the air from my daughter's bed onto a blow up air mattress on the floor. The room is a disaster, but you can see his reflection in the mirror, which is so cool. We were sleep training our youngest at the time. He was about six months old. So we were trying to sleep train him. Yeah. So we had bumped Connor and Alexis and put Asher in the other bedroom. And I woke up one morning and he was, it was Halloween morning, 2015. And he was jumping on the bed and he looked at me and I was like, it's okay, go ahead. And I ran (laughs) and I grabbed my camera and I came back upstairs and I sat in the doorway taking pictures of him. And that is the picture that won. It was crazy, unbelievable, like, Oh my goodness. And we'll make sure, is, does that happen to be in your Instagram account somewhere? If it is not, I will repost it. That would, yeah, well, either way, we'll make sure to either link to that or maybe post a, a, um, a low-res copy of it in the show notes so that our listeners can can check that out because it sounds it's absolutely so amazing. He's so proud of it. He's like, you won! And he made me print it up on a big old canvas so it's hanging in his room right now. He loves it. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> How fun. Yeah, well, if, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Shoot and Share photo contest, do make sure you can just Google it. You'll find it. And uh, there is a contest going on right now. And you can kind of get a feel for what that's like uh, if you go to the website, uh, as well as following them on Instagram as well. So make sure you check out the Shoot and Share photo contest. But let's go ahead and move to, to really what is our primary focus for today. And, and that is the topic, very simply, of sharing your gift uh, or more specifically, sharing your gift for for good is kind of the title that that I landed on. And and I want I'd love to kind of just start this conversation by reading a quote that you sent to me about an experience that you had with an organization. I know you're going to comment on them or talk a little bit more about them here in just a little bit called the Magic Hour Foundation. But you actually sent this to me in an email. It was really beautiful and and really actually had me in tears. But it says. I have been beyond blessed to have this talent, let alone make a business out of it that supports my family. And I felt like aside from the pro bono work I do on my own, it needed to be taken to a larger scale. That's when I found the Magic Hour Foundation, which offers free photo services and adorable keepsakes for families battling terminal cancer or survivors. I met my first family in 2016, and it was honestly one of the most rewarding and difficult things I've ever done. Charlie was suffering from terminal brain cancer that was quite a battle for about seven years. He ran marathons, has a wife and two teenage daughters, and fought so hard. They decided to take a final vacation to Panama City Beach to bring Charlie to the beach and try to relax as a family. That's when I met them. We went out to the beach at sunset for about 45 minutes and just talked, laughed, played, all while capturing their last moments together as a family. The way he looked at those girls was something they needed documented forever. 
I sobbed the entire walk back to my car and home, but it had never felt so, and you put in quotes, accomplished as a photographer, if that makes sense. You forget sometimes that you're creating their legacy. These pictures are not only for them right now, but for generations to come. And I, I mean, again, and I, I had to kind of hold on to myself here a little bit as I'm reading that, but um, it, absolutely beautiful summary of that experience. And maybe we can just start by talking about that experience. Maybe you can expound on it a little bit more. It's hard. Like I'm teary eyed now. I, I've become pretty good friends with the wife. Charlie did pass away very shortly after our session together. Wow. And his girls were older teenagers. I think one has gone off to college and I've become fairly close with the wife. (laughs) She's actually suffering from cancer right now too. It's just absolutely terrible, but it's such a gift to be able to give to them. Like those are the last pictures that they have of their family together. And they were so happy. Like, I don't know. I, I don't even remember what your question was. Well, no, and I think I think really what you emailed to me beautifully summed it up. Um, I'm curious how many families that you've had the opportunity to work with since that that session. Uh, from the Magic Hour themselves, I've had a couple of more. I've also, on my own, worked with a few more that were can that should have been candidates for Magic Hour, but I'd already had relationships with them, so I did their sessions for them. It's it's actually it's so hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Yeah, I can relate at least a little bit. Um, I had mm-hmm. the opportunity to photograph for now. I lay me down to sleep a couple of times. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, it's tough to be in, and, and it's tough to be in those, those situations and, and it's tough to even describe really what it's like to see a baby in that state. And that the first, the first session that I did, I kind of walked away a bit numb uh, or unemotional, if you will. And the, the second time um, I went back into the session uh, for a family and I left and, and just kind of lost it in the car going home. Um, mm-hmm. It's but but at the end of the day, to have an opportunity to be able to do the very thing that we're talking about, which is to share our gift, our talent, our ability for the benefit of someone else that goes beyond this kind of egotistical effort at creating some type of art that where we're actually benefiting them at a deeper level that, as you say, is going to transcend you as a photographer, um, potentially bring some type of joy to the family for years and years to come is just a a really, really beautiful thing. And I'd love for you to maybe share a little bit about the drive for you personally that has led to an effort to to give in this way. I think my, my personal drive comes from, I think my own childhood. I, I don't have anything to show my children Mm. of me growing up. I've got two or three pictures of me as a baby, some pretty awkward teenage photos, but nothing in between. I, I have nothing to show them. And it breaks my heart because that I, I have nothing like, you know, everybody wants to tell my daughter that she looks like me. We have nothing to compare it to. It's just, it's totally like, I have nothing. And I just didn't want my children to have nothing either. Like these pictures are not just for us. They're for them. They're for their children. They're for their grandchildren. Like I have lost both of my grandparents on one side and my grandmother on the other side. My grandfather is still with us. Mm. I, I didn't know my grandmother when she was young and pretty, you know what I mean? Like I knew my grandmother as a grandmother 
And you look back to like their wedding photos and when they first met together and you're like, oh my gosh, look at you. Look how beautiful you were on your wedding day. And you realize that your brother looks exactly like your grandfather when he joined the Navy. Like it's just, we are the most photograph generation, but we don't really print anything and keep it. It's crazy that it's all like social media now. And so that's, I mean, that's a whole other story for another day about I'm like crazy printing pictures lady too, but. And, and to that point, can I just ask you, do you use a particular service or product where you, you print your, your family's photos? For my personal families, I use Miller's Lab. I take my family photos from, I take my favorite pictures that I've taken all year and I make the biggest album they'll let me make and I stuff them all in there because I'm not going to let my two-year-old touch my computer. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So we have bookshelves full of albums and it's just a year in review and it's all great things and they can look at them anytime they want to. And I like Miller's personally. I just kind of have stuck with them over the years. I really like their product. They stand up to the kiddos. I think they're great. That's, that's wonderful. And of course, we'll make sure to link to Miller's in the show notes as well. But I'm kind of curious what the process looks like from start to finish when you're, you're matched with a family with this foundation and then kind of what the conversation looks like um, and then maybe the session itself. And then how, how do you deliver a finished product? What, what does this whole process look like for the sure. Magic Hour Foundation? It's, it's actually quite quite easy considering what you're doing you'll get a call from or an email from somebody over at the magic hour foundation and they'll tell you that they have a candidate in your area that needs your services they just right away give you the name and number and email of the person in need and they leave it up to you to make the calls and schedule the appointment A lot of times they'll tell you how pressing it is. Like we need to do this within the next 24 hours or you've got a little bit of time, like a call, you know, like in Charlie's situation, I called Deanna, the wife, and it just so happened that they were, you know, coming here on vacation. So they had limited days that they would be able to make it happen. So you just kind of call the client from there, work it out just like you would any regular photo session you're going to take. You choose a location and a time and, Of course, we tried to pick a beach that didn't have a lot of distance for Charlie to have to walk on because we didn't know how tired he was going to get or if he'd be able to make it back up off the beach. Yeah, yeah. So we picked one that was really like a shorter beach so we could get as close to the water as we could. Um, And of course, we went out at sunset time. So we made sure that he'd had something to eat beforehand. So we had enough energy. We go down and you just kind of approach the session just like you would any session for me because it was a family and that's what I do. Um, And I really just, I made sure to get some really good traditional pictures. Everybody looking, everybody smiling, everybody cuddled up. So we got a couple of those. And then I, of course, took, you know, extra time to make sure I got pictures of him with each girl. And I would just kind of take a couple steps back and let him kind of, you know, tell her to talk to her dad. It was two daughters. So I'd tell them each to talk to their dad and they'd get him kind of talking and laughing and smiling and touching their arms and touching their hair. And I'd slowly creep back in and get those moments. Um, So that way it felt a little bit more personal versus everything being staged. And then I did the same thing with, you know, him and his wife same thing kind of got her talking to him and laughing and 
giggling and he was so funny, just so full of life. Wow. And he was making jokes. I mean, you could tell that he was sick and tired, but he was making jokes and he's laughing and splashing in the water. They just had a great time. And then, of course, we made sure to get some good pictures of him by himself, hmm. which is something I don't obviously traditionally do. Right. But, of course, given the situation. So we left after that. We all went back up to our cars. I told her that she um, actually would not hear from me after that. She would then hear from the magic hour. So when you finish the session, you go home and you edit the pictures just like you normally would. And then you upload it to their portal. And they give you a time frame. I think it's like, I don't even want to tell you because I could be wrong, but they give you a time frame and then you upload it to their portal. And then they, from there, the Magic Hour Foundation will actually set up an account for the client and they can download the pictures and have digital copies. They print the pictures and they put them in a keepsake, keepsake box and they mail them out to the client as well. So basically all you really have to do is set up the session and shoot the session and you're done, but I can't do that. (laughs) So Deanna and I became friends on Facebook and she's gotten to know my family. I've gotten to know her family a bit better. We talk quite often actually, and she's just a super sweet lady and they have such a great family. Well, and how do you, I mean, I know it's, you talked about just getting so emotional after the session. How did you hold yourself together even while you were photographing? Because I know like when I, even when I shot weddings at times, I'd kind of lose it behind the camera. What, what was that like for you? It was so hard. Like I'm just an emotional person as it is, but like, I feel like my voice shaking, like I just felt sick the whole time because you, you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Like, you know what you're doing. It was so hard. And you just kind of have to try to emotionally like shut yourself down, if you will. Like when it's freezing cold outside, you forget that you're freezing cold. You're just shooting. You have a job to do. It's yes. almost like that. Like you don't even remember that your fingers are frozen and you're like shivering until you're done shooting. It was one of those, like your body just takes over and you try not to think about what you're doing, but you know what you have to capture because this is it. Um, It is interesting how you do kind of go into, I've I've photographed in such a variety of situations and it's interesting how you, you do set aside like your normal emotional or physiological response to something um, can can actually be ignored. I mean, our, our brains are way more powerful than, than we give them credit for. And um, the fact that you can just kind of ignore something uh, such as a powerful emotion like that in response to what you're photographing is pretty interesting. But uh, you do go into just kind of work mode. And you do. It's like fight or flight kind of thing. And you get it done. But I mean, I cried the entire way to the car, like shaking, sobbing, ugly cry. And I got home and I was like, (gasps) and my husband's like, you did a good, like you're doing a good thing. And I'm like, I know it's a good thing, but like, I can't even bear to think that that woman is going to lose her husband. Like, like, I just can't even like as a mother, like it's just such an emotional roller coaster. But well, you know, for, for all of, all of the, the, quote, terrible things, and and not even quote, but literally the terrible things that are going on in the world. And as much as it seems at times, at least based on what we see in the media, that, you know, that that the world is so terrible and and people are so terrible. At the end of the day, I think one of the the biggest steps toward making a difference um, that we can take as photographers and those who have various artistic talents is to figure out a way to 
give that gift to somebody else. It's another way of being kind, to put it very, very simply. And I think this is a, a really beautiful example of that opportunity. And, and I would love really for our listeners to be able to take advantage of that opportunity to, to give. And of course, you can always find outlets for, for doing this outside of an organization. But I, I love the fact that the Magic Hour Foundation has a process in place that helps yeah. the photographer provide that, that gift to someone. So where can our listeners actually learn more about the organization and, and maybe potentially how to photograph for them? So you can actually go to the Magic Hours website at magichour.org, um, and you can apply right on their website to be a photographer for them. And you just kind of tell them where you're located. You show them your portfolio, and they'll get back to you, and they'll give you – I think they ask you, like, how far you're willing to travel radius-wise – so I could get a call that's, you know, 50 miles away, which is no problem for me or, you know, depending on what your radius is and what you think that you're able to handle. And then whenever they get a prospect that, you know, has contacted them that's in that area or very close to, they'll contact you to see if you're available and you can go out and do the same thing and share your gift. Well, that's, that's really wonderful. And we'll make sure, of course, to link to the foundation in the show notes and, and our listeners can go uh, check that out there. And, and speaking of links, I'd love for you, if you don't mind, and, and I really can't thank you enough for making time to share with us today. This has been just a wonderful conversation all around. And I appreciate your transparency and, and sharing that story and that experience too uh, with Charlie. But where can our listeners learn more about your brand, about your business, follow you on, on social media and so forth? Well, my website is lljenningsphotography.com. I, pretty simple, just L Jennings. Um, Facebook is Laura Jennings Photography. Instagram is Laura Jennings Photog. All the stuff is up there all linked together if you want to see it. Perfect. And again, we'll, we'll link to all of these in the show notes as well. But um, thank you once again, Laura, for making time for the Boca podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Come